So Jesus is getting ready to go to his father and the disciples are like, Jesus, how can you leave us? You've been with us for three years. What are we supposed to do when you leave? And he says, I will send you another comforter. I will not leave you comfortless. I'm going to pray to my father and he's going to send you another comforter and he will abide you, abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. There's another passage that says, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is what does that. The Holy Spirit is what helps us rightly divide the word of truth because there's a lot of people out there today that are using the word of God to accomplish their own ends that are totally separate from the will and the way of the Lord Jesus. If you have your Bibles, you would turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And we will be looking at verses 4 to 7 this morning. So Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Um, and my message is titled, Jesus to the Rescue. So I'm going to read this passage and then we'll open in a word of prayer. Galatians 4, 4 to 7 reads, But when the fullness of, time, of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these uh, brief verses, and we thank you for the opportunity to study your word more closely today, where we pray for Shane and his family on their vacation, that you would refresh and renew them. Pray for all those who are not here with us today, that you bring them back in your time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, the first aspect of Jesus to the rescue that I want to talk to you about this morning is the timing of it. So, let us read once again verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. So, I don't know about you, but but especially as a kid, I did not understand patience very well. And when I was a kid, December was the slowest month of the year because December 1st, I was like, hey, there's 24 days till Christmas. But then the calendar started to crawl and I was like, will Christmas ever get here? And then, of course, when Christmas does get here, then you wake up on Christmas morning, you do all the Christmas stuff, and before you know it, it's 8 o'clock Christmas night, and you have to wait a whole nother year before Christmas comes again. Because when you're anticipating something, it takes forever. When it gets there, it's gone in a flash. I think about that with uh, this play that I just completed yesterday with Master Arts Theater. 
I was privileged to do a Christmas carol as the ghost of Christmas present for four weekends, 16 performances. And when we got to yesterday, it was just very surreal feeling to know that we had been working on this show since early September, and now it was all culminating yesterday. And it seemed to go really fast in the final month as we were actually performing the show. Um, but it's interesting to, to know, and it's encouraging to remember, that Jesus does not do anything early. He doesn't do anything late. He's always right on time. And so Paul is bringing that out in this passage by saying, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. It wasn't late. It wasn't early. It was right on time. Now, I don't know what the prophets were thinking when they were waiting for him. Every generation succeeding that probably thought, well, this is the generation when it is going to happen. And then they were subsequently disappointed when it did not. So looking at this, um, as we look through the scriptures about this particular topic, I want to look at Genesis chapter 3, 13 to 15. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is it this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust, and the days of your life, all the days of your life. And I will put an amenity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So this is the first prophecy of God's redemption plan that Jesus is going to come. Now, so many of us, if we were God, we probably would have just cleared the plate, started over. But God instead tells tells the serpent and Adam and Eve that he has a redemption plan in mind and that this is how he is going to do it. And there's a really poignant painting that I've seen passed around Facebook at this time of year that shows Mary um, standing next to Eve and Eve putting her hand on Mary's belly. And I just think it's really symbolic of what happened because God sent Jesus to crush the serpent's head. And we are here this morning because the serpent's head is crushed and we need not fear. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home to your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, 
and he gave him the name Jesus. First of all, I would like to say that I think that Joseph is an unsung hero of Christmas. Uh, we read that he was a just man in this passage because he wanted to put Mary away privately even when he thought that she had been unfaithful. His goal was not to shame or humiliate her or to even stone her as he had the right to do by law. He wanted to put her away privately. But then when God reached out to him and said, Joseph, that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost, he responded and obeyed God and chose to be the stepfather of the Lord Jesus. And the Bible doesn't tell us much about him. But what it does tell us about him is that he was obedient. There are at least four times when God spoke to Joseph in a dream and he responded all four times and did what God told him to do. Because he spoke to him about marrying Mary. He spoke to him about Herod trying to kill uh, Jesus. He spoke to him um, when it was time to come back from Egypt. And so all throughout his life, he was attentive to the call and the voice of God. Um, and Jesus said of us as believers, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I give unto them eternal life. So it's incumbent upon us as believers in the Lord Jesus to know him and to know his voice. And then it's significant that this passage does not say born of a man. It says born of a woman. Why? Because Mary was a virgin. Why was it important for Mary to be a virgin? Because the sins of the man are passed on through his seed. Paul said, as in Adam all die. So if Jesus was truly Joseph's son, he would not have the ability to take away our sin because he would have been contaminated by sin. So we know that Joseph did not have intimate relations with his wife until after Jesus was born. But we also know that Jesus had brothers and sisters and that two of his brothers wrote epistles in the New Testament. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. So, this is telling us that Jesus was in the beginning. He did not become Jesus. He did not become the Son of God when he was born of Mary. He was already the Son of God, and he condescended to be born of a woman, to become an embryo in the womb of a woman, and then be born as a baby and live 33 years of human life before dying on the cross, rising again, and ascending to his father 40 days later. I heard it explained this way, that... Jesus as the creator, because it says all things were created by him. Think about this. He was creating, he created Elizabeth in whose womb he was knitting together John the Baptist at the same time that he was being knitted together in the womb that he created in Mary as the creator God. And that is why it is important for us as Christians to be pro-life and to encourage people 
to choose life for their babies. Because our very Savior chose to come into this world through the womb of a woman and to redeem us because we had no hope without him. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about the Incarnation. We catch sight of a new key principle, the power of the higher, just insofar as it is truly higher to come down, the power of the greater to include the less. Everywhere the great enters the little, its power to do so is almost the test of its greatness. In the Christian story, God comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down further still, if embryologists are right, to um, recapitulate in the womb ancient and pre-human phases of life, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he has created. But he goes down to come up again and to bring the whole ruined world up with him. One may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks the surface again, holding in his hand the dripping precious thing that he went down to recover. So that just kind of shows a little bit about the journey that Jesus went on for ourselves. So we're talking about Jesus to the rescue. The first issue that we discussed is timing. The second point that I have for you today is redemption. Galatians 4.5. Galatians 4.5 says, To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And I just love the picture that we can consider ourselves sons of God, daughters of God, not just I'm going to forgive your sins this once, but also that I'm going to hide you, as Colossians says, with Christ in God. Your position with God, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, is just as secure as Jesus himself. That is a awesome, surreal thought. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 to 24. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. So, Jesus did always did what was right. Again, this perfect standard of righteousness. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. You and I do not have the capacity to fulfill the law in and of ourselves. We mess up all the time. We are sinners. Um, even Paul, at the end of his great victorious chapter of of Romans um, chapter 7. The last verse says, With the Spirit I serve God, but in the flesh I serve sin. 
So he acknowledged the ongoing battle between the fleshly self and the spiritual self. He said, there's nothing in me, nothing good in me that can do the right thing. But with Jesus, he lived a perfect life, and he did that so that he could be redemption for us on the tree. Ephesians 5, 6-8 Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not therefore partakers with them, for you were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Isn't that a wonderful thing that we were once darkness, but we were delivered into the light. It's a total life change. Just like C.S. Lewis was talking about with the diving analogy. It's like Jesus dove down from the light into the darkness and grabbed us from the bottom of the bottom of the depths and pulled us up to himself because we could not get there ourselves. Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus, after he did his redemptive work, remember earlier in this passage in Philippians, it says that he was obedient to death, even the death on the cross. After he did that work, he was elevated to a place uh, above everything and a name that is above all other names because of his redemptive work for us. The story is told of a gentleman visiting a slave market who was deeply touched by the mental agony of a slave girl who had been delicately reared and feared that she should fall into the hands of a rough master. The gentleman inquired her price, paid it to the slave trader, then placed the bill of sale in her hands, telling her that she was free and could now go home. The slave girl could not realize the change at first, but running after her redeemer, cried, He has redeemed me. He has redeemed me. Will you let me be your servant? How much more should we serve him who has redeemed us from sin death, and hell. Now, Paul often will begin his epistles with these words. Paul, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, or a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he was redeemed, and and out of gratitude, he wanted to serve the one who had plucked him out of the mire and set his feet on a rock. And my encouragement to us today is that we would be that kind of people, that we would want to serve the Lord Jesus, who has given us so much and has um, not just made us better, but brought us from death to life pulled us out of the water, gave us CPR, and brought us back to life. So the third point, we talked about timing. We talked about redemption. Now let's talk about provision. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, 
God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It is very exciting and heartwarming to me to realize that I have the same place in God's heart as Jesus, as a son of God. Watching the Passion of the Christ a few times over the years, one of the things that always strikes me, because Mel Gibson decided to do this film completely in, completely in Aramaic, is that when Jesus is praying in the garden, you hear him say, Abba, as he's praying for God to take the cup from him. And so I read verses like this, and I'm reminded that the same Abba that Jesus is calling out to is the one that we have access to because of what Jesus did for us. What a wonderful truth that is. 1 Corinthians 2, 11-14 No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the spirit, using the spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. So Paul is talking about when you are trying to share spiritual truths, the the non-spiritual person, the carnal person, will not be able to take them in. That's why he said elsewhere, the cross is foolishness to them that are perishing. Because the idea that we would venerate this symbol of grotesque torture in our faith makes no sense to them. But as the song Uh, The old rugged cross points out, we see a wondrous beauty in it. Why? Because it is the symbol of our redemption. And because we know that the cross is not occupied by Jesus today, because he died on the cross, but then he was buried and he rose again the third day. That is why we need to ask God, as we are sharing the gospel to illuminate his word to his followers. The Bible doesn't say that no man comes to me except an evangelist draws him. No, it says no man comes to me, Jesus said, unless the Father draws him. So the Holy Spirit needs to do his work My responsibility is to deliver the message. The Holy Spirit's responsibility is to do the work and bring the person to repentance and redemption. And the thing is, God always does a complete job. Paul said, I am confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
one thing I really like about the Bible and about Jesus in particular is he doesn't speak in maybes. He speaks in guarantees. So that is why Paul has confidence because Jesus guarantees these things to us. John 14, John 14, verses 16 to 18. Then I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, nor knoweth him. But you knoweth him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. So Jesus is getting ready to go to his father and the disciples are like, Jesus, how can you leave us? You've been with us for three years. What are we supposed to do when you leave? And he says, I will send you another comforter. I will not leave you comfortless. I'm going to pray to my father and he's going to send you another comforter and he will abide you, abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. There's another passage that says, He will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is what does that. The Holy Spirit is what helps us rightly divide the word of truth. Because there's a lot of people out there today that are using the word of God to accomplish their own ends that are totally separate from the will and the way of the Lord Jesus. So we must be in tune with the Spirit of God. I think that's why Paul also says, grieve not the Spirit. So we need to keep short accounts with the Holy Spirit. An inert substance or a living body may become so surcharged and transformed with another force foreign to itself that when we touch it, we feel only the foreign force which fills it. Galvanize a pail of water and then put your hand in it. You touch the water, but you feel only the electricity which pervades it. Touch a bar of iron and put it into the fire. Soon the fire enters it and takes possession of every atom of which it is composed. If you touch it while red hot, you will scarcely feel the iron, but you will certainly feel the fire. So it is with a man when he is filled with God. Come near to him and touch him, and as you touch the man... You feel God. I'm reminded of Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John testified that, that Jesus was the one that healed the lame man and gave him the ability to walk and leap and praise God. The people marveled because these were fishermen. These were not learned men. These were not men that had spent years in the synagogue, although they, I'm sure they had some training. But they weren't the elite of the elite. They were just fishermen. And yet, God used them miraculously and powerfully because His Holy Spirit was working in and through them. Billy Graham said that when a Christian shows courage, the spines around him are stiffened. When we have a proper Christian outlook, other people are affected by the life that we live. So our third point was provision. So now we come to our fourth and final point of the day, and that is adoption. 
Galatians 4.7. Galatians 4.7 reads, Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Again, a wonderful truth that we are adopted into the family of God. The Bible says, A father of the fatherless and a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. So God puts the solitary in families. He gives the orphan parents. The psalmist says, If my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Galatians three twenty four to 29 so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we have been adopted into God's family. And we are now children of God by our faith in Christ Jesus. And we are Abraham's seed. Abraham, who was a friend of God, Jesus says to us that we are his friends if we are redeemed. So what a wonderful truth that is. And then finally this morning, John 1 10 to 13. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from the human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So we see here, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. So the world did not know Jesus. I think of the Pharisees who, he was walking with them physically, and they missed the point. He came to his own, the Jewish people, and they rejected him by and large. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That means even Cornelius, the Gentile. Peter was probably thinking as any good Jew would think at that time in history. This is for the Jews. And God says, I want you to go with these men that are coming to see you. And he comes into Cornelius' house and he hears the story that Cornelius tells. And then he says that, that, that there's no reason that they can't be baptized. And they are baptized and the Holy Spirit comes upon them signifying that Gentiles can accept and enjoy peace with God through the Lord Jesus. That's why he says there's no Jew or Greek. 
no male or female, no bond or free, because we're all equal in the sight of God. And we all matter to him just as much. Little ones to him belong. Author Keith Miller talks of an outgoing 40-year-old woman who is part of a sharing group he led. Here's her story. When I was a tiny girl, my parents died, and I was put in an orphanage. I was not pretty at all, and no one seemed to want me, but I longed to be adopted and loved by a family as far back as I can remember. I thought about it day and night, but everything I did seemed to go wrong. I must have tried too hard to please the people who came to look me over, and what I did was drive them away. But then one day, the head of the orphanage told me that a family was coming to take me home with them. I was so excited that I jumped up and down and cried like a little baby. The matron reminded me that I was on trial and this might not be a permanent arrangement, but I just knew somehow it would work out. So I went with this family and started to school. I was the happiest little girl you can imagine and life began to open up for me just a little. But then one day, a few months later, I skipped home from school and ran into the front door of the big old house we lived in. No one was at home, but in the middle of the front hall was my battered suitcase with my little coat thrown across it. As I stood there, it suddenly dawned on me what it meant. I didn't belong there anymore. Miller reports that when the woman stopped speaking, there was hardly a dry eye in the group. But then she cleared her throat and said almost matter-of-factly, this happened to me seven times before I was 13 years old. But wait, don't feel too badly. It was experiences like these that ultimately brought me to God, and there I found what I had always longed for, a place, a sense of belonging, a forever family. Have you ever felt as though you didn't belong and that you didn't have a place? You can belong to Jesus. If you are a Christian, you do belong to him. Little ones to him belong. So when you feel small, take this as your hope and comfort. My friends, this is truly the hope of Christmas. That we can go from a place of not belonging anywhere to belonging to Jesus. And nothing that happens in our life can change our placement in his eyes and in his heart. My prayer for you this Christmas season is that you would raise your eyes to look above. To see the star that led the wise men to a poor abode. And that you would realize that that star that lit the sky that night was to direct them to Jesus, the one who would give his all for us. There are three gifts gave, given that night, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Frankincense and myrrh are spices. Myrrh particularly is a spice for burial. So even in that, I believe there is a prophecy of what is to come, that Jesus would die on the cross to redeem us who are under the law. So quickly by review, we talked about Jesus to the rescue. And we talked about these aspects of his plan. Number one is timing. In the fullness of time, he came. Number two is redemption, to redeem us who are under the law. Number three is provision. 
he provided us with the Holy Spirit, whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. And number four is adoption. We have the adoption of sons. We are joint heirs with Jesus in the kingdom of God. And we have a lot to look forward to in the next life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We pray that it would go forth with power. Lord, I pray that you have been blessed by this small group of believers this morning. We know that you've said that you will be there um, whenever two or three are gathered. And so we, we welcome you here and we're so glad that you are always ministering and ever interceding for us. We pray that we would embrace the true meaning of Christmas this season and that we would uh, do real business with the babe born in a manger who did not stay a babe but grew to be a man and died on the cross that we could be redeemed from our sins. We thank you for this wonderful treasure and promise. In Jesus' name, amen.